Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 112 of Yoga Land. So today I have what I feel like is a special treat because I don't talk about Ayurveda a whole ton on the podcast, so I'm excited to have Nika Quiscard back. Nika is really my go-to person for Ayurveda. She's one of the most knowledgeable Ayurvedic practitioners in the U.S., She spent years in Kerala. While she was there, she was the founder and director of Rasa Ayurveda Traditional Healing Center for Women, which was a full-service Ayurvedic residential hospital. And she now runs her own consulting business, and you can find her at ayurmama.com. I'll put it on the show notes page, but it's A-Y-U-R-Mama.com. Nika's been on two past episodes with me. If you want to go back and listen to those, she was on episode 17, where we talked about Vata season and Ayurvedic ideas for staying calm and grounded in the fall. And then she was on episode 81, which was part of my holiday series, where we talked about nourishing yourself during the holidays and cultivating your vital essence, which is called Ojas in Ayurveda. So on this episode, I wanted her to talk about how we can approach a sustainable yoga practice through the lens of Ayurveda. And it's summer, so we talk about pitta season. Summer is pitta season. And one of the things that Nika points out is that even if you don't feel like you are very pitta dominant in your everyday life, we all carry all of the different doshas within us and, and they can go out of balance more easily according to season. So since it's pitta season, even if you're not like a pure, pure, pure pitta, you're more likely to go out of balance in the pitta dosha. So I had Nika just offer ideas on how to calm pitta or stimulate pitta on your mat, specific asanas, ways to approach asana, meditation, and pradyama. She offers some really nice lifestyle tips that involve rose water and sandalwood. It's so good. And then uh, toward the end, we wrap up by talking about food and nutritional choices. So I just love thinking about things this way. I love how Ayurveda complements yoga practice so well because it's really about cultivating awareness of yourself and your surroundings and your senses and how you respond to things. And then having the tools to respond skillfully, having the ability to take care of yourself in the the healthiest way possible. So enjoy it and let me know what you think. So Nika, I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks again for talking to us. I'm always so delighted that we can get together. <laughs> so Jason and I have been doing this summer series of podcasts about that, that focus on creating a sustainable yoga practice. And mm-hmm. I just thought it would be the perfect opportunity to talk about, you know, looking at this through the lens of Ayurveda. And I know that summer is pitta season. And I thought we could just talk a little bit about what that means, how it manifests, And then, you know, how we can make choices in our yoga practice and our, you know, daily life that support us, you know, in pitta season. Absolutely. To make a sustainable practice. I love that. I love that topic and bringing our awareness to the whole idea of even thinking about what is a sustainable practice Mm -hmm. and why, why do we want that? And that's really... 
what Ayurveda is all about is maintaining the optimal conditions for, you know, for thriving in one's life. And as we know, life is complex and it's alive and it's always changing. Our environment is changing. Our own state is changing. And so Ayurveda at its best is, it gives us that ability to see, well, what would be most sustainable now? What will bring balance? What will, you know, protect our homeostasis, keep us from wasting our energy and kind of keep things nice and harmonious moving forward. So, you know, Ayurveda and sustainable practice are the perfect partner. So I love that we're talking. Yeah. And summertime. Yeah. Summer is the Pitta season. Classically, Pitta season begins in late spring and carries us forward through summer. And, and the whole idea of pitta is that it has certain sensory qualities. And when we experience more and more of them, sometimes we experience too much of them. Mm-hmm. So regardless of whether you are, quote, unquote, a vata, a pitta, or a kapha, whether you're, you know, your dosha, as they say, is any one of these things, if you are in the Northern Hemisphere now and the days are longer and hotter, you know, there's going to be more of the qualities of pitta in play in your life right now, in your body and in your experience. So pitta is made up of two of the five great elements of Ayurveda, the Panchamahabhuta, and the two that pitta is made up of are fire and secondarily water. And often when I teach this, people say, well, that just cancels. They cancel each other out. That means nothing. Yeah. But it's the sensory qualities of fire and water put together that we're looking for here to understand the nature of pitta. And so when we think about how we experience fire, you know, it's very obviously hot. It's very penetrating. It's very mobile. It's, you know, dancing flames, always on the move. It's very transformative, right? If you put anything in or near fire, it will change its form. And then water, what about the quality of water? It's also very softening. It's penetrating in a different kind of way. It's, you know, moistening, obviously. And so when we think about these sets of qualities that that fire has and that water have, and we try to imagine or think back through our sensory experience of being here on the planet, what kinds of things embody these qualities together, the qualities that fire has and the qualities that water has? And I can ask you, do you have any guesses on that? What kinds of things embody (laughs) both of those qualities? It's so funny. I've actually, (laughs) as much as I've read about Ayurveda, I, I didn't know off the top of my head that water was a part of Pitta. So I'm like sitting here kind of absorbing it. What kinds of things have both? I mean, a lot of, I guess a lot of things have both of those qualities. Well, I just actually, I think I'm stumped because I'm stuck on the fire. Sometimes the more you know about something, the harder it is Uh (laughs) to actually have a visceral sort of body sense understanding of it. But let me give you some clues. You know, when we were kids, right, we were out making mud pies and playing in the sprinklers and doing all that stuff outside. And we really got to know nature's qualities. Mm -hmm. And this is really a much more foundational way of approaching Ayurvedic knowledge than, than learning about, you know, than learning the words about it all. Mm -hmm. So when you think back to that very visceral, simple beginner's mind, 
the kinds of things you could find in nature that embody this fire with water quality are things like, well, some people will say lava, which we have, you know, a very living example in Hawaii right now of mm, yeah. lava flowing and it's liquid and it's moving and it's penetrating. And But an even better example is something a little more subtle, which would be something like acid. Hmm. Acid is penetrating. It's got a kind of heat, you know, acid will cook if you take raw fish or chicken or something like that, right? And soak it in an acid like vinegar or lemon juice. It is transformed. It's actually cooked by the acid. If you have a very powerful acid, it will penetrate and destroy the structure and change the molecules just like fire will. And yet it's in a liquid form. So acid is a very perfect embodiment of pitta. Basically it's pitta. Hmm. Another one, which is even easier to understand is steam. Hmm. Steam is pitta. So if you have a pot of spaghetti boiling on the stove and then you take, let's say, a sheet of newspaper, you're, let's say you're waiting for the pasta to boil and you're, you know, for the water to boil so you can put your pasta in and you're, and it comes to a boil, but in the meantime, you're standing there reading a newspaper article and it's a big piece of paper. It's kind of hanging over where the steam started to come up and you notice when the steam comes because your paper starts to soften, right? And it will eventually, if you stood there long enough, fall apart completely and turn into mush. Mm-hmm. So steam is the best and easiest way to understand pitta. Pitta is steam. Pitta is the same thing as steam. Steam will penetrate, it will loosen up, it will transform, Mm. and it warms and moistens. So when there's too much pitta, clinically, we get conditions in the body like infection, inflammation, heated swelling. Mm. We get get contamination also. Do you get congestion? Do you get like congestion or is that more stagnant? Well, you can have, of course, all these qualities going. So in the case of, let's say, a sinus infection, that might start off with, well, it would usually start off with both vata and pitta going crazy, where you get like a runny nose of very liquidy secretions and so forth, and kind of things getting started and a lot of activity happening and the virus or bacteria moving around and invading the tissues. That's kind of the vata pitta stage. And then when we get that thick, cloggy, kind of heavy, non-infected mucus, that's more like a kappa condition. Okay. That's pure kappa. Mucus is a good embodiment to understand kappa. And if you get, say, yellow or green, you know, sign of infection and more heat, with that mucus quality, then you've got some kappa pitta going where you have more of an active infection mm-hmm. with more heat, swelling. So it depends. Wow. Almost every disease we can, we can see different manifestations of, and that's how we know which doshas are most at play Yeah, by observing those qualities. So where you see infection, inflammation, and coloration is also a big aspect of pitta. You know, we all get rosy, right, in the sun, and our faces get hot and sweaty working in the garden and all that. That's pure pitta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the extra color, pitta colors, the other doshas have nothing to do with coloration. So where there's a lot of extra color, even extra flowers and you know all all of the extra color that happens in the summer that's a manifestation of this steamy 
very alive, very transformative. Pitta is the the dosha of transformation. It it changes whatever it touches, and that's why it's so important in our digestion and metabolism. Hmm. And why a, a classically quote unquote pitta person? We all have all the doshas. Mm-hmm. You you must have all the doshas and their qualities operating you at all times. So the idea of the what's my dosha question that people get so excited about is you know what is most dominant in my nature right because we can see you know like a quick-witted sensitive freckle-faced red-haired green-eyed intense and intensely loving kind of person who might tend toward acid indigestion or you know heated conditions of the body easily gets infections or sunstroke that kind of thing that would be sort of almost a caricature of a pure pitta person Mm -hmm. so when you have a lot of any of one dosha in your nature it means that it gives you certain qualities which you can just see by observing a person but it also means that then if you take that person and put them in an environment with more and more of the same qualities, it's more likely they'll tip out of balance there Mm -hmm. because they already have quite a bit in their nature. So the idea of what's my dosha is not definitive for making choices, but it is a nice background thing to kind of know about yourself. Yeah, completely. When we all arrive in a particular season and that season is, you know, abundant with particular qualities, we can all usually kind of benefit by by balancing those out a little bit to keep ourselves in the, in the harmony zone, in the yeah. sustainable zone. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Like I think as you're telling this, you know, talking about this, I arrived in San Francisco many years ago, but in the summer season and I'm very Vata dominant and the summer where I grew up in Pennsylvania, it was like a, what kind of what you're describing as like a very pit classically pit to summer. It was very humid you know, right, just right. like it was, it you could walk outside and like feel the moisture on your skin. It was really hot and I loved it. It was perfect for me growing up. And exactly. then I, I moved to San Francisco. <laughs> oh my God. I moved to San Francisco in the summer and not, I didn't know I was Vata dominant at that age. I was so young and it was devastating for me. Like it was actually the beginning of me kind of that. Let me think six months later, like I fell into a depression, like a really, you know, Mm -hmm. the first kind of intense depression I had. And I really think it was like, I didn't know how to survive in that, in that environment. It was just so windy. Can you describe, I know San Francisco summers very well, but maybe not everyone does. So what's the difference? What do you experience? So it was very, very, you know, it was for me that summer, that particular summer in, you know, especially it was incredibly windy. So, which is really, really, disorienting for me. It was pretty cold and like a damp cold, like a, and, and so the, and the fog where I lived in the hate Ashbury at that time. So the fog would roll in, you'd get about two hours of sun a day. That was it. And then the fog would roll in by about 3 PM. So I was getting up, going to work in a freezing cold fog in the morning, coming home. Almost kind of dark in the mornings in in the summer, San Francisco, pretty gray, pretty Uh gloomy. And June gloom is what we called it, call it. And then I would (laughs) ride home on the bus to coming to like this mask of fog and really intense wind. So, yeah, I mean, the hottest it gets here in the summer. Not very Pitta-like conditions at all, really. No, no, no. So, yeah, so that's when I learned about Ayurveda, it just felt like such a... It just felt so validating in so many ways. Like, oh, this makes sense. Like, this is why I'm so sensitive. And my boyfriend at the time, who was very, 
like pitta dominant loved the summer and thought I was just complaining all the time and being difficult and, (laughs) you know, like being stubborn and all these things. It's like, no, it was really, really hard on me. Your actual experience. Exactly. Well, that, you know, that's why I was drawn to Ayurveda in the first place, not just because I'm such an Indiophile, which I am. And, you know, I have this whole background in yoga and meditation and Sanskrit and chanting for many, many years before I really zeroed in on Ayurveda. But my main attraction to it is, it's just like you said, it makes so much sense because it's not a concept or an abstraction that you have to reach outside of your experience for at all. Mm. You don't really need to even understand the doshas to be a great Ayurvedic practitioner in your own life. You only have to understand the qualities of what you're experiencing and what works for you, you know, what you need. Right. And it's really that simple. I mean, we can work with the pairs of opposites like hot and cold, moist and dry, stable and mobile. And that is essential Ayurveda. You you could never hear the word dosha and still be very skilled in the practice of right. Ayurveda because Ayurveda is not magic. It's it's life that's magic. And it's a natural, you know, these are natural laws. You know, if you pour water on something, it will be wetter than it was before. Right. <laughs> or if you put, you know, a sensitive vata type person in an environment with a lot of cold and wind and grayness, that's not so great for, you know, that's not so balancing to their nature. So while we're all experiencing more pitta during the summer, that's the next thing to think about is, you know, where is your summer? If you're having a San Francisco summer, you actually have less pitta than you do in the fall in San Francisco. You Mm -hmm. have more sun and warmth, you know, in the early fall than you do in the middle of summer. So, but the classic, yes, like India, South India, classic pitta, especially in the summer with the heat, humidity, the extra air pollution and that kind of thing, because another aspect of pitta is kind of contamination, like that infection idea or pollutants Hmm. are more impactful in a pitta type situation. Um, And there will be more of them normally. Um, Things like body odor or bad breath, Mm -hmm. you know, stinkiness Mm -hmm. and that coloration too is an indication of excess pitta. So depending on where you are, if you're on the East Coast this summer, There's more pitta naturally, that humidity and that kind of heat and that kind of fomenting, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But if you're, right now I'm in the mountains and the Sierras in California, and it is, certainly we're having longer days and the sun is high and the, the temperature is hot. If I stand right in the sun, my skin heats up, but there's no humidity. So I just step into the shade and it's all green and cool and my pitta, you know, drops down right away. Yeah. So paying attention to your environment and to your nature are two great criteria for helping you figure out, you know, what you need. Right, right, right. So do you, would you call yourself like a pretty classic pitta? I'm a pitta coming into my vata stage of life. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, postmenopausal. So that's also an impactful thing. Okay. And I think I'm probably, you know, honestly, in India, the doctors don't focus on your nature nearly as much as your imbalance. Oh, that's right. So, okay. okay. So it's interesting, kind of. It's kind of, you know, like, are you a Libra or a Scorpio? It's, it's interesting, but it's, it's not everything you want to steer by. So I'm a Pitta, but I have plenty of Vata dominance too. I'm mm-hmm. a Pitta or a Pitta Vata. Mm-hmm. And now I've into that last stage of life, which is the Vata stage of life. And I'm in a kind of a 
a vata place right now, but it's the pitta time of year. So all these things factor in. Yeah. The easiest thing to do, you could, again, you could slide all the doshas right off the table and not worry about the categories and look at, is it hot or is it cold? Is it wet or is it dry? Is it mobile or is it stable? Yeah. Those three things right there, if you look at those pairs of opposites and kind of find where are you between the two extremes and what, what do you need? you know, for yeah. that stability, that stability to go forward. Part of the reason I asked that is because I was, I want to like take it to the mat a little bit. And I was sort of wondering how you think about things like, and I, I mean, really your imbalance when you go to the mat. So yeah. those three pairs of opposites, would you recommend thinking about that as you, you know, start your practice? I do. I think those are great are a great foundation of a quick scan you can do. Well, here's what I think about several things. And this is not so much for teaching yoga to a class, but for my own personal practice, right? Mm -hmm. I think about, well, and this is what I'll be thinking about today when I approach my mat. What has my activity level been the last couple of days? And what do I need now? Do I need a more active sort of cardio challenging kind of practice right now? Or do I need to feel more grounded? How's that going to fit in with what I need right now? What time of day is it? What am I getting ready to do? Am I going to be going to bed? Am mm -hmm. I going to be getting into my day? Do I need to rev up my concentration? Or am I taking kind of a retreat day of integration for myself? What, what is the goal? You know, what do I need? Mm -hmm. And then, then I just look at... Obviously, we can look at the, the environment. Do I need to cool down? Do I need to stimulate more circulation and generate that internal heat? Mm -hmm. Do I need to have more stabilizing, grounding kind of activity? Or do I need to, you know, kind of rev myself up and get some more prana movement and some more circulation and some more mastery and action, that skill and action kind of feeling, mm -hmm. you know? So sometimes, honestly, we don't want the things we need, you know, if I'm feeling lazy, <laughs> I don't think, okay, I am going to be super motivated to, you know, amp up my practice. But because I realize, wow, I'm a little bit too far toward the stability end of the scale. And I feel like staying there because I feel lazy. I probably would do well to build in to choose that kind of practice for myself that's going to reignite my activity, my focus. So yeah. it's different from what you want, right? Yes. It's, it's different from what about, you want, yeah. but it's not going too far of throwing yourself at the other extreme. Right. And also and sometimes that tends to be a pitta thing is intensity, and, you know, ambition right. and passion are all pitta type emotions. And we all feel more of that when the days are longer and the sun is high for longer and we get excited and energized in the summer. So we might tend to be more, you know, the sun is up and I'm going and I'm going to go all day and there's going to be a party tonight and I'm going to finish, you know, this project and we can, people do tend to get a little more manic in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Where just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Yeah. So there's that end of the spectrum where you might want to pull back and go for something more cooling, less ambitious, right. and less intense. Well, yeah. it's interesting because like, I think a key to this is, like you said, if you're feeling really low energy or lazy and you want to have a little more energy, you think about that goal and you might have to 
when you get on your mat, you might have to back your way into that. <laughs> you know, yes. you might have yes. to start with like kind of start you easy. Yes. Yeah, baby yourself. Start I call it on taking the ground. Self, taking yeah. self-leadership is what I call it. <laughs> taking I'm going to take one part of myself by the hand. Right. <laughs> and I'm right. going to say, it's okay. Just step on the mat yeah. and just relax a little and then kind of get your appetite for it. Right. Yeah. But try to get yourself, like, I will start in maybe some seated twists or even start on my back. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of ease into much more of a, you know, a standing vinyasa kind of thing. Right. And then the same goes for if you're feeling, I I think I might be a vata pitta because I definitely have the drive of a pitta. And I have like, when I get sort of mentally and emotionally imbalanced, like there's definitely some fire and anger in me, you know, that I have to cope with. (laughs) So yeah, I can get pretty revved up. So on those days when I'm getting so revved up that it's actually draining my energy, I might have to start with an active, active practice and sort of burn off the energy. And then I can cool down a little bit more and take a longer time toward the end of practice doing more gentle work. Yeah, it's always skillful to meet yourself or if you're a teacher, your clients or your students where they are and align, get aligned first and get moving in the same direction at the same speed, whether it's you with yourself (laughs) or, and then once you have that sort of simpatico, then you can start to steer, right? Or suggest, let's go over here. Let's calm down. Let's ramp up. Yeah, absolutely. That's always really skillful and in alignment with reality Mm -hmm. instead of just sort of calculating, well, you're too stagnant. You should be active. Push the button, go. Yeah. Because that's a kind of violence, actually. Yeah. That's not ahimsa. And that's not really that skillful. Yeah. But we do that to ourselves and sometimes to our our students, too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's something that happens in life a lot. I mean, you know, it's it's so interesting raising a child because my daughter is really at the age where, you know, we ask her to do something really simple, like clean up something that she just threw around the house. And it's like, (laughs) she'll actually say, like, I I don't want to. And, you know, I just don't want to. And we have to go through what every parent has to go through, which is like, honey, there's like a lot of things we don't want to do in life and we have to do them. And we, we live together and we work together and we have to cooperate with each other and blah, blah, blah. And you just have to get off your butt and do it, you know? And so there are so many things in life where you really kind of sometimes do have to push yourself to do things. And I feel like we take that to the mat with us sometimes and we forget that it can be a place where we can be more responsive and more, yeah, just, just more responsive to exactly what we need on that particular day in that particular moment. Well, I think we can, we can hold both, you know, we can hold the outcome, which would in Sophia's case be the table is now clear. Like, can you see that outcome? Yeah. Yeah. Or what your, you know, what your aim is for this one session of yoga what is the state you'd like to arrive in and why, you know, at mm-hmm. the end. So you hold that. And at the same time, it's like crossing the street with a child. You know, we're going to get to the other side. That's where we're going over there. But in the meantime, I'm going to hold your hand and walk every step of the way with you. And we're going to stay in the crosswalk and we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we do. We need to do both. Yeah. You know?
So one thing I'm curious about, um, when I worked at Yoga Journal, we I feel like I've read so many stories that we did about, you know, specific poses that were balancing for yeah. specific doshic imbalances. I remember the one that I remember the most is that headstand can be pitta balancing, which experientially is definitely the case for me. It's actually, it's really one of my favorite poses. I didn't do it for a long time, but I'm back to doing it again. I'm wondering how you feel about that, about specific poses, or can we, if, if you're not an advocate of specific poses, if we can talk about kind of like cat pose categories for balancing specific. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, specifics are great because everything has its qualities. And if you actually can pay attention to the specifics of a specific pose, for instance, you can really have a much more natural relationship with what are the qualities that that's bringing. Mm -hmm. So typically category type ways of getting into that are for, for calming pitta. Generally we want to kind of calm the brain because it's so focused and so intense and so driven by both emotion and just curiosity or the need to know. Mm-hmm. So that, there's a lot of heat in the brain and a lot of heat in the heart when they are when there are excess pitta thinking habits and emotions. So literally turning yourself upside down is a great is a great way to kind of put pressure on that and kind of condense it and contain it so that it's not the intensity isn't just expanding expanding. So it's one way that heads down works is that it contains what we call sadak pitta, which is that mental pitta. But other categories, so if we look at our yoga activity and our poses in terms of just the law of physics, you know, what's actually happening with our body when we and with our breath when we do different things. So in the case of headstand, you're turning, you know, everything upside down, your reality upside down, and you're putting pressure there on the brain. You're kind of condensing and compacting that area so the spread of the intensity of that mental focus gets like physically defined. Another category of poses that we really like for easing excess pitta are gentle backbends, mm-hmm. whether it's in restorative or whether it's in, you know, something like camel or something where you're not doing an extreme backbend, but you're releasing your heart energy more, softening mm. your presence becomes more amplified around your heart and the head takes more of a backseat. And this is also this kind of opening or easing of the heart. So not an intense, desirous, passionate kind of red hot blood pumping through the heart kind of feeling, but more of an easing and opening a devotion, a releasing, right? Into faith, into trust, into more of a divine love experience. So that it also gives the heart more room. So instead of sort of pressurizing itself with all its desires and intensity of emotion and expansion of the heart and that easing and that surrender. We like that a lot for Pitta, whether that's in more restorative type poses or in active poses. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing we like for Pitta are the spinal twists because again, that kind of releases energy. The brain and spine nervous system is dominated by Vata, but getting that gentle movement because pitta can lock on. Kappa is very stubborn and stagnant more, but pitta is more of sort of like the locked on laser, like 
when you want something or you want to know something or you're going for something, that kind of ambition and penetration, that hot burning focus Mm -hmm. that tends to eventually destroy, right? We want to loosen that up and, and broaden our focus and sort of step back into ourselves and relax back into the fullness of Mm. who we are instead of our focus at the moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yes. When you get sort of of full body and also even sort of releasing your, your sense of self more into your environment and feeling more carried Yeah. Instead of now I will do this. And now this is the reason for this. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. When you get pit to dominant, you feel sort of like laser focused and like you're just driven forward by like your head, you know, you're just. And so that makes sense. Almost machine like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Very driven to the next step and the next step and the logical reason for this. And and that's all very valuable. Sure. We tend to be over dominated by that in our modern lifestyle anyway. And we use that as a structure to organize our time and our decisions and even our identity. So it can be kind of unnerving to relax. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. That's what yoga can be for, you know, because when we understand that heart opening poses can help us surrender to, you know, the mystery of life is really what's keeping us going, not all our perfect decision making or even our understanding. Hmm. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, you're raising a child and you know how vulnerable children are. They need to be nursed and protected and carried from place to place. And then they start toddling and anything could happen. And all right up through the teen years, oh my goodness, the crazy (laughs) decisions that we made. (laughs) (laughs) keeping us on the planet, really, you know, there's something that's not just about our good ideas, or having received all the right instructions. And now we're, you know, exactly executing the program to its finest result. There's something that we can surrender to. And for that pitta intensity, that's a really good antidote, both for the body and the mind too. It is. is. I think sometimes like when you get when you get into that pitta mode, I mean, you get sort of out of touch with your intuition and then it's hard to trust it again. You know what I mean? Like it can be hard because there's a fear. There's a fear. You know, Pitta also loves control. Right. And that's why those of us with Pitta, I'm raising my hand over here. We try to figure it all out before we take an action or we want to have, you know, the perfect explanation. And and all of that's good. That has its value. But too much of it kind of chokes the life and the enjoyment out of everything. It does. And, and also like if sometimes if your best laid plans don't work, it can be really unnerving, you know, because you, you don't have that faith and that trust and like that, that sense of fullness that you were talking about. Right. Yeah. Well, and you feel like basically you got it wrong. Yeah. And that's kind of depression that, a you know, a classically very pitta person tends to suffer from. Like I said, all different clinical conditions can be understood in different ways in terms of the dosha and of each dosha. Um, whereas a vata type depression will feel sort of ungrounded and, and just anxious and like I'm not really here and I don't know where I belong and I don't know what to do and that kind of floaty dryness and a pitta type depression is much more self-critical. I didn't get it right. I'm not good enough. You know, all that kind of thing where even with all the calculations and focus and intensity and ambition and effort, 
it still didn't work out well, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where how we end up feeling the way we do. And the cup of depression tends to be just more not motivated to get up and go for what you want or just not have the energy be, being lost in stagnation. So we can get too ambitious, you know, for our own good, certainly. And then grace doesn't really have space to come flowing in and show us maybe even a better idea, mm-hmm. something that is easier. So for Pitta in the summer, when there's more Pitta about, mm-hmm. things like ease and surrender and sweetness and that agape type of love instead of a super desirous love, mm-hmm. those really can come to the forefront through our yoga practice. So, so even doing your normal, let's say you have a, a regular routine practice that you like to do. You can do it without changing your asanas at all, without changing your choreography, you could say, mm-hmm. or sequence. But do it with a softer attitude, with finding more softness, without pushing yourself and just yourself into more softness. If you're the kind of person that likes to do your quote unquote yoga workout and sort of push yourself, maybe try doing it with a pitta calming attitude of opening the heart, allowing emotion to just come through without fixating on it or trying to direct it at something. And, and having that sense of surrender and awe of life and of having this body and of really experiencing each breath and of taking a little more slow motion time through moving through the poses to just really feel that full embodiment mm-hmm. and let pitta cool down, you mm-hmm. know, maybe... If you do 108 Surya Namaskars every morning, maybe, no, maybe 27. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try another sacred number mm-hmm. and do them twice as slow and really feel, feel where the heat is in your body and your mind and your heart and see if you can allow it to loosen up. Mm-hmm. Now, Pitta is great at loosening things up, actually, in the right amount. So it's not that we want to run away from Pitta. It's just that we want it to be there in its healthiest balanced state. Right. Right. Yeah. And like, so that you can, you can function in your, your healthiest balanced state. As you were saying that, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, another, and I think, feel like you said this earlier, but another option is you could do your regular practice and sequence, and then make sure you set aside time in the evening to do a much quieter, you know, to do like one restorative pose, like a, Supta Baddha Konasana. People are telling me they need me to translate everything into English. So like a reclined bound angle pose. Where your back is supported for some gentle chest opening and your shoulders are falling back over the bolsters. That's perfect. Right, right. What do you think about meditation before bed? Like we were saying earlier, it's best to meet our state where it is. So if you are sort of feeling excess ambition and passion or overheated or overamped, then you might want to start with something more like listening to cooling music. Mm -hmm. Um, Something like the classic Pitta Kwame music would be something like the bamboo flute. Mm. And uh, one musician, Sachdev, you can look up online, plays this most breathy, beautiful, airy, cooling bamboo flute music. Not the South African pipes. Okay. Not that kind of flute. Those are kind of more peppy. Okay. <laughs> this is the, the Indian Bansuri. It's called B-A-N-S-U-R-I. And it has a very cooling, calming, kind of drying, but in a very heart-opening kind of way, experience. Or 
find a shady spot in your garden um, as the sun's going down and stay out while the sky gets dark and and the heat goes from the day and you feel it going from your body. Mm -hmm. And then maybe slip into an easy meditation or focus your heart on devotion, on if you if you have a particular embodiment of the divine that you have love for that brings out that sweetness in you, you know, have a little conversation with that deity or with that person or with that aspect and come into the sweetness. Because sometimes meditation is too much about controlling the mind or doing the breathing, right? Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that might not be exactly the best means to getting back to that cool, sweet essence in you. Mm -hmm. So once you've touched on that and you, it's almost like the bell has rung and you feel that sweet, cool, surrendered, devotional kind of vibration, then when you go into meditation, you know, it's like a river of that. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Instead of going from the heat intensity, a long day at work and commuting in the air pollution or whatever to like now meditate. Sometimes we need that downstepping. Right. Even aromatherapy, aromatherapy can be great. I actually carry around a little bottle of just pure rose water during this time of year because my eyes get sort of hot and irritated. And Hmm. there's actually a, a particular type of pitta in the eyes. And, uh, you know, we have more glare and more heat and intensity and, again, more typically pollutants around at this time of year. And so because everything becomes more volatile in the heat and is permeating the atmosphere. So I spray my face and even my open eyes. I'm not suggesting you do this unless you have a definitely a, a sterile, pure access to rose water. But I spray my face with my open eyes with rose water wow. and my chest and the back of my neck. And it just the heat starts to go. Wow. And the fragrance of the rose is very heart opening and kind of reminds me of that soft, cool, you know, like detached, but loving mm-hmm. that kind of sweetness mm-hmm. that starts to come out actually in the temples in India. You know, if you go to a traditional temple, One of the things that will usually happen as you move through the different activities and going to the temple is that you'll be offered some different things to put on your forehead as sort of blessings. But one of them is sandalwood paste mixed with water. Mm, And most of the temples now use something like clay and a little tiny bit of sandalwood because sandalwood is incredibly expensive and endangered and isn't good to be using everywhere. We have to be very careful with these rare plants now. But anyway, the traditional thing would be to apply this to your forehead and it would immediately cool, you know, your excess passions and your intense desirous thoughts and your plans of world domination (laughs) (laughs) and get you into that sweet sattvic state where there's a natural balance, where there's a natural clarity, where there's a not automatic reaction to everything, you know. And so we, in Ayurveda, really, we can use, of course, asana and meditation and breathing, but also all the senses and even what kind of movies we want to watch or people we want to hang out with or, you know, taking your morning exercise in the cool of the day instead of after the sun is high. These simple, simple things where Mm -hmm. you feel that cool relief to the body, you can associate that with surrender, with trust, with that sweet sweet softness that's really that's in there somewhere (laughs) yeah 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 it's funny like I don't consider myself someone who's like deep deeply knowledgeable about Ayurveda but what I do know has helped me so much because it's really just for me it's still a way 
to pay attention and then like you said respond skillfully and yeah i mean all of these things that you're talking about they're just and to me like that's just the essence of why i still do yoga there's just nothing else there's no other form of exercise or spirituality or anything that for me works in that way of just remembering to pay attention and then respond skillfully with attention to myself to other people so yeah i mean i guess i hadn't really thought about if you think about a typical day in the summer or in any season you can try to plan your day around that paying attention it's actually you know the paying attention and the responding skillfully is not only the right and healthy thing to do it's also the most enjoyable thing to do right right exactly it creates so much less suffering in the course of mm-hmm. your day for you and everyone around you because you feel better yeah you do you feel better and there's also this sense of ease, you know, and you start to trust that life will will tell you what to do. Like if you said, if you just pay attention, nature's sending us constant messages and we're experiencing and have been experiencing through our senses, heat and cold and dryness and moisture and all that. We, we know this so intimately, so deeply, and all we have to do is acknowledge it and then respond so that you know, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's really, it's not, you know, Ayurveda is really common sense. It's, it's what we all were practicing in the sandbox. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exploring and, and then, you know, well, what happens if we do this? And as you grow and as you become more masterful at being a human on the planet, you, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think more about Oh, I fantasize about, you know, the Native American scout who would be sent out on a vision quest, but he would know how to catch scents on the wind. He would know, you know, how to pay attention to where the source of water would be and how to get out of the rain before the rainstorm came and all those things of just living in simple harmony and responsiveness with nature to move forward. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. And we can use all of our senses to affect that balance. So I know most people who hear about Ayurveda, they want to know about food, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about summer foods? Yeah, let's talk about (laughs) food. We've talked a little bit about movement. We Mm -hmm. can talk more about breathing as well. You know, I feel like I didn't answer that. Let me backtrack and say, I didn't completely answer your question about meditation. So if you are going to meditate, good pitta calming type meditation would be to start with pranayama that is more like ujjayi breathing, some slow, long, sort of airy breath. Or shitali is classically calming oh, to the right. nervous system. And that's the one and where even you... even to the blood temperature, I believe, shitali. Right. With that evaporation over the tongue. So those kinds of things start to invite that coolness and calmness and settling into the shady glade. Mm-hmm. And then I think, you know, you can use like yoga nidra type visualizations of coolness, of going into a green, quiet, place of of sweet interactions with your deity or with the animals or with the flowers flowers are also a big pitta calming rose gardenia jasmine and also the bitter sense of things like vetiver truly a little bit bergamot kind of drying cooling and heart opening florals and roots and leaves And you can either apply those or you can imagine those. So I think it's nice in the summer when we have so much energy and so much kind of activity stimulated in us to to channel that and imagine 
you know, in a yoga nidra type way, these environments or these experiences for ourselves. And then you can drop into the heart. You can, instead of having your awareness so located right behind your eyes and in the brain area, as you breathe, this is a, a meditation that I often teach people, as I found it so valuable for myself. You can imagine that as you breathe and settle into your seated posture and just kind of surrender to being with yourself, that instead of your eye being located behind your eyes and in your brain, sort of let it sink down so that if you were to open a little window from your chest, you could sense that your eye is looking out through your heart, mm. your eye and your eyes. And to sort of allow your identity to slip down and dwell in the heart and take some breaths from there and just hang out there. That's a really beautiful way to dial down kind of intensity, ambition, overwhelm, yeah. I frustration. I like that. I haven't mm -hmm. heard of that one before. That's a new one for me. It's exciting. I feel like I've heard them all at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I said with so many different teachers over so many years, and I learned this from a really interesting Russian Advaita Vedanta teacher many, many years ago. His name was Adi, and I don't think he became famous or that we could find him now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I feel grateful that I learned this practice from him. I have a recording of it, too. Maybe I can send you the link for that. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's very calming and, and gets us back into that sweet surrender. And it's very relieving because when we have high pitta, we're feeling so incredibly responsible, too. So pitta being that heat and acid, you know, it's very primary in our digestion. So some people in the heat of the long days and usually the extra eating, there are more parties and more picnics and all that um, so beyond the holiday time, we tend to do more indulgences, barbecues. And unfortunately, the things that we like to indulge in in the summer are really exacerbating to pitta. Typically, things like, you know, beer, alcohol, staying up late and eating fried fatty snacks, barbecue, mm -hmm. you know, it's smoke, actually, literally, that we're eating, <laughs> which is kind of an embodiment of pitta. So those kinds of classic summer indulgences usually tip us even more out of balance if we're struggling with pitta excess. If we're struggling with it in our digestive system, we'll have more acid indigestion, more loose motions, and maybe burning, passing stool with burning, and a frequent urination, that kind of thing. Just an overamped, overheated, overactive GI tract. Okay. Um, so what we would like to do instead is embrace those things that have, of course, the opposite qualities. Instead of more heat and penetration and oil and fieriness, we want to go with things that kind of cool and dry things out. So okay. things like lettuces, of course, things with a bitter taste like bitter greens or cucumber is very sweet and delicious, yet it has an astringency that helps to sort of dry up excess acids and fluids. Watermelon is good because it's cooling, right? Cilantro instead of parsley, which is warming. And what about lemon? Cutting, actually, in the summer, if you're in a real pitta place, you want to switch over to lime. 
Okay. Because sourness, right, is acid. Lemon is very acid. Lime is a little bit more bitter. It's not a sour, mm-hmm. right? Right. So shift over to lime or to rose petals or to tossing some bergamot leaves in your water, that kind of thing. Okay. You can save the lemon for winter. Okay. <laughs> we want to dial down the sourness. So less kombucha and thing because it's got so much vinegar in it and more fresh. I like to call it prana water. I like to go out into the garden and pick even things that are going to seed or flowering like cilantro or maybe a nasturtium blossom or some rose petals or something that I can toss into a quart jar of water and just pour the cool water in and leave it in the kitchen to just sip this prana infused, very purifying and lightening kind of water. Or people will make cucumber water. That's perfect for this time of year. Right, right, right. Interesting. Astringency, something that dries things up a little bit in a freshening kind of way. Hmm. What are some other astringent foods? Are legumes astringent? Yes, they are. So we can do legumes. Yellow mung bean is good for this time. Dried yellow mung bean or green mung bean is very good. They're both cooling and astringent. Dried coriander. uh, Let's see what else is astringent. You know, a classically astringent fruit would be something like quince, which Mm. most people don't. Or if you really want to know what astringent is, you don't want to eat this. But if you're not sure what it is, an unripe persimmon. Have you ever bitten into an unripe persimmon? I haven't. It just, <laughs> yeah, it just dries up your mouth. You can hardly open your mouth to take that persimmon out wow. if you've sunk your teeth into an unripe one. Pomegranate is nicely astringent, especially if you eat a little bit of the white, the pith. Hmm. Right? Interesting. Grapefruit pith. So if you go ahead and eat the membranes and a little bit of the pith of the grapefruit, it's very cooling and drying. Right. So if you're feeling, you know, just a little fomented, that's what you that's what you go with. So we've got the the acid quality, which would be like mm-hmm. you were mentioning like vinegar or sour things. Is the opposite of acid sweet or astringent? You know, tastes don't have opposites exactly. Okay. okay. But the qualities of the tastes do. So what we want to do, if if we have a lot of pitta, the the tastes, there are six tastes, six rasas, the shad rasa in Ayurveda, and each of the doshas have qualities that are pacified by three of those six tastes and are increased by the other three. So it's not a, a one for one. Okay. One taste will counteract the other. But in the case of pitta, the tastes that increase pitta are, of course, sour, that acid. Of course, pungent, which means penetrating heat, like hot chilies or alcohol, you mm. know, that kind of sharp arrow kind of quality. And the third is salty. Why salt? Because it increases moisture, right? Which is very pitta. Oh. So sweet, uh, sorry, so, so salty sour and pungent or hot chili, those all increase pitta. Okay. The tastes that bring pitta down, that cool pitta and dry it out are astringent most of all. It's very cooling and drying. Sweet, which kind of, just like with the emotions, kind of releases the intensity of pitta. And bitter. So the three tastes that calm pitta are astringent, bitter, and sweet. Hmm. Bitter because 
bitter, also with a little drying. It cuts the appetite. It also will cut the digestive juices. Hmm. And so it kind of puts a full stop on everything, Mm -hmm. which pizza wants to flow and wants to heat things up and wants to keep going. And bitter kind of just says, stop. Mm -hmm. So if you eat a nice dandelion leaf, right, that's very bitter. Or if you go to the Indian grocery, you can find the really entertaining looking and I think delicious bitter melon. Remove the seeds and just wash it, scrub it, slice it up. You can find recipes to cook it. I like it raw. Hmm. And it's very cooling and calming and bitter. You know, we in America, we tend to shy away from bitter tastes. Yeah. We always yeah. want more salty and sweet. But bitter is an important, not only for your blood, it's a blood purifier, but it's also it has a good emotional or psychological effect of helping you cut cravings or, you know, attachments. It just kind of cuts it all out, knocks off the nonsense yeah, and just makes you stop in your tracks when you taste something really bitter. And that's why we say, you know, that people are bitter when they, you know, they're resentful. They won't connect. They won't move forward. They mm-hmm. won't kind of let it flow. They won't, they're, they're holding themselves away with their judgment and their bitterness and that kind of cuts them off from life. Right. So we don't want to be bitter, but we do want to taste bitter mm-hmm. because we do want to cut and especially in the summer where the days are long and the fried food and alcohol is flowing, we, we want to kind of step back into the coolness where we can let go into that deeper surrender and not chase our desires. Yeah. So bitter is great for that. It's funny. I started buying 100% chocolate just because I'm trying mm-hmm. to stay away from sugar as much as possible. And so when I first, I would, I'll just like have a square if I'm craving chocolate. And when I first had it, it was so bitter. I just felt like, oh my God, I'm not gonna, this is just like, why did I do this? I'm completely used to it now. And it, and it's, it's like, it serves the purpose of, it just serves the exact purpose. It's like, it feels like a special treat, but it's so bitter that I don't eat too much of it. And I don't don't want more. I don't crave more. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it does taste delicious to me now. And it's also good because I well, know that it's like full of antioxidants and, you know, it's, it's got its yeah. purpose. Yeah. Well, we need bitter. We need all the tastes actually to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. A meal should really have all the tastes and we get that deep satisfaction. And we think we don't like bitter, but like you're finding it's, it's uniquely satisfying. It actually has an effect on the brain. You know, when that, when the tongue, when the different centers of the tongue are activated by the different tastes, it has an effect on our brain and on our whole physiology, which is part of how we create herbal formulas in Ayurveda is partly based not just on their, you know, their phytochemical effect in the body, but on the effect of the taste in our physiology. Yeah. So bitter is so important for calming pitta, but it's important to have a little bit of it kind of all the time. And it's great that you've discovered that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back just really briefly, and then we can, we can wrap up to a question, an asana question I still have in my head when you were talking about asana and you said, you know, kind of the, the more gentle approach to backbends. And you mentioned, you know, like a restorative backbend and we talked about supta bhadakonasana, but what about an active backbend? Like, I mean, obviously one thing they could do would be to just approach a backbend in a more mentally heart opening way, but would like camel pose be a good active backbend? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I think I cut out at the point I mentioned camel pose and you couldn't hear that. Oh, okay. Yes. Camel pose is, is great. 
and you just want to ease into it, right? And you want to not push yourself too far, but you do want to get yourself in the camel pose. That's that's beautiful. And if your practice is such that you can be at ease in it, it's it's a great pitta calming pose. Absolutely. Okay. And then what about for people who, like I mentioned that I love headstand, but I know so many people don't practice it with good reason. It just doesn't work for their body or their neck. Do the other inversions, would they have a similar effect or is there something else they could do? Like maybe down dog with a block under the head or something like that. Yeah, down dog with the block under the head could be good. Yeah. I haven't thought about that specifically putting pressure. I mean, one thing that it's not asana, but it creates this effect, which is to wrap an ace bandage around your super orbital ridge. Oh my gosh, I remember pressure. this. <laughs> yeah. so long ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put pressure over the lower forehead and even a light, very light pressure over the eyes, the eyeballs, mm-hmm. which helps calm and cool and contain that sadhak pitta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can but, scare your know. loved ones when they come in and you're practicing and you look like a zombie. <laughs> you know, you can just put a, like a fleece headband yeah. on and pull it down over your eyes. Yeah, yeah. When no one's looking. <laughs> Or it's the same thing as those wonderful flax and lavender filled eye pillows. It puts a little light pressure over your forehead and a little bit over your eyes. And that, that helps to contain that sadak pitta. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I'm thinking about asana. I mean, you know, you can do forward bends that compress a little bit. Right. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or how about bow pose, even though you're not lying on your back, it's very much a chest opening. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing, opening the front body and where you, you know, pull your shoulder blades down and back and just one of the things with the pitta mind is, as you were talking about earlier, it has you almost mechanistically moving forward, moving forward. And the 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 mind is so much further ahead of the body and the body is just trying to keep up. Yeah, yeah. So when yeah. we pull, really, even if you just slide your chin back right where it is, mm. You start to feel pitta calm. Yeah. And then if you pull your shoulder blades down and back and, you know, keep those shoulders back where they belong, right? Mm -hmm. And then you inhale to fill the spaces in the intercostals. You start to feel a lot more surrendered, a lot more present, a lot less like you're being dragged forward by your mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So any poses that allow that chest to open and the back to go back <laughs> and the head to come back. Those are all great for calming Pitta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so great. Thanks so much, Nika. I have to, I have to just comment. I have been loving the sound of the birds in the background of on your side. And then also Bad. it's perfect for this conversation because it's like so soothing. And then the juxtaposition of that with the sounds on my side, which I don't know if they'll come through or not, but they're like, three cement trucks barreling by a motorcycle, a car alarm. Like, oh my gosh, I think I need to get myself into a more calming environment. (laughs) It makes such a big difference. If you're sensitive and you are, you're Vata and Pitta, you'll be sensitive to your environment. And, you know, these are, these are very stimulating messages that we're, you know, we're taking in and they make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So So get yourself to the mountains. I will. It sounds beautiful there really is. <laughs> I feel very fortunate. Good, good. Well, is there anything you missed? No, I think we got it. I love it. I'm so excited. 
you already, you know, you're a, you're an Ayurvedini. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Thank you. I, yeah, yeah, I, um, no, I love it. I mean, it's, I, like I said, it's, uh, when I first started learning about it, it felt like, oh, I finally make sense in a certain, in some system, you know, <laughs> I think there was just so much time growing up where I felt like I didn't make sense. And I really genuinely, like, it really felt like, oh, okay. I, all these, yes, yes, yes. I recognize all these things and now there's something I can do about it. So it. yeah. Yeah. Well, you're so, you give so much, Andrea, how's everything going? You've been doing this podcast for a while. Yeah, I have. It's been more than two years. There's like, more than a hundred episodes. Oh, yeah, it's going well. It's going great. I mean, I'm trying to just keep it fresh for myself so that I want to keep mm-hmm. doing it because, yeah, because it is kind of a labor of love more than anything. You do else. one every week. Is that what you do? Is it every I do. Week? I do. I'm very disciplined about that. Actually, this is the pit so in me. Yeah. I'm very, you know, I mean, you don't work in a magazine for 10 years and then like fall down on your own self-publishing. You, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's totally, you know, in me to just stick. That's so great. I mean, what a great skill. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I feel like I'm doing the right thing right now. So, so it's good. Well, I love it. Thank you. I'm going to have more time actually to listen in. I haven't had that kind of time, but I think I'm going to recreate my life. So I have this ease built in a little bit more. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I send you a hug and a kiss. I love talking with you. It's always really harmful for me. So good. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. Absolutely. (laughs) Bye, sweetie. Thanks so much for listening. I'll put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 112. If you're enjoying the summer series, it's always helpful if you leave an iTunes review. And if you don't know how to do that, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash reviews. I actually think leaving a review is way more complicated than it should be. So I had someone outline it for us. Okay, guys, until next week, enjoy your practice. Days I spent behind desk I found.